This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kyabram. You can visit us at www.lwkyabram.com. Today, yes, I'm talking about freedom, as you would have known from our first song. It is for freedom we've been set free. Thanks for that. So the, the title is, you know, what is freedom? You know, if, um, if the government came out with a, with a law that said all rules, regulations, everything's lifted, you can go and do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. I just wondered, how long would it last? Because maybe you might be doing something that's stopping me from doing what I want to do. So straight away we've got a problem. Imagine in Melbourne there was no street lights, there were no lights on the road. Everyone just drove wherever they went, however they went. It would be chaos. You know, the whole thing had just come to a gridlock. Then we'd sort of see some road rage, I think, wouldn't we? Or something would go on and, and I think it would just be a sort of a survival of the fittest. Whoever's the biggest and strongest can... I think we'd need some good bull bars on our cars them days. Yeah. And so even though they use the word freedom, you can free to do whatever you want, but it's not real freedom, is it? That's not freedom. No, we need rules. We need laws to keep our place safe and stable. There's many different ways that people are governed. There's just a couple that I looked at. One was democracy. That's government of the people, by the people, for the people. Communism is a centralised form of government led by a single party that is often authoritarian in its rule. Oligarchy is a government in which a collection of individuals rule the nation. These individuals have set qualities such as wealth, heritage and race. And they see that only a few people are fit to rule. There's monarchy. Monarchy is a power system that appoints a person as the head of state for life. Authority passes down through bloodline and birth order within the ruling family. So there's a few of the ways that other countries and nations and nationalities govern the people. But in Christianity, that's the only real democracy that we have. Because a Christian state, everyone would think of much higher value of the other person, of his neighbour, than himself. Christian freedom is not a licence for the simple but tremendous reason that the Christian is not a man who has become free to sin, but a man, by the grace of God, has become free not to sin. God's the one who created the world and everything in it. So for me, I believe he's the best one that knows how it should work. It's like when you buy a car, isn't it? If you want to get the best out of that car, you read the owner's manual and you follow it. So you want to get the best out of it. And so it is with the world. If we want to get the best out of this life, out of this world, we need to go to God's manual, which is his word. He's left us his word, a way to live, a way to serve. And if we want to get the best out of life, we will follow what he says because his way leads to life. Today we're going to go through the book of Galatians. If you could just turn there with me. We should be finished in time for Rushworth service. There's only six chapters. It'll be all right. The roast won't burn because most ovens now will switch off automatically, won't they, with a timer? Anyway, it's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll get done. And yeah, The Apostle Paul had gone through the region of Galatia and was preaching the gospel of the good news. And a lot of people were coming to believe in Jesus and following him. And in that 
group were some Jews that had come to believe in Jesus, but they were trying to bring people back under the Old Testament law, especially the law of circumcision. They were trying to teach people that certain ceremonial practices were still binding and they were trying to bring people back into, yes, you believe in Jesus, but and that's where it went all wrong, but you need to do this, you need to do that. And this letter to the Galatians, this is like nearly all the other letters that Paul wrote, there was always started out with some niceties, just some nice things. And, but this letter to the Galatians, Paul was straight into it because he was so concerned with what was going on there. He wanted to correct those false teachers by what they, from what they were saying. So let's pick it up here right, right at the start of Galatians. Galatians 1, verses 1 to 9. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God the Father, to whom glory and forever and ever be. Amen. Then he gets right into it. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Eventually, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel of heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you've accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Now, these false teachers were trying to bring people back under the law. And that's why Paul went on to the attack in this letter. He wanted to put things straight right away because the Jews at that time, the Jews believed that salvation was for them alone. They were the only ones that God was going to save. And even if a Jew, uh, even if a Gentile wanted to come into the salvation of Christ, then he had to become a Jew. And to do that, that meant he needed to be circumcised which is right against what Paul was, was teaching the gospel was all about. It's the, it was the opposite of Christianity. It meant that a man's salvation was dependent upon his ability to keep the law. It meant that a man's salvation was only through what he did, not what Christ has done, because no man, no man could keep the whole law. Paul was saying that salvation was through the act of a Christ and Christ alone. There was no other way. But these men were trying to bring them back into, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but you need to do this and this, which was totally false to what Jesus was taught to do on the cross, what Jesus did for us on the cross. The essential thing is this. It's not what man could do for God, but what God has done for him. So my first point then is, so... What's the purpose of the law? What is it discarded now? What's the purpose of it now? The first one is it tells us about sin. When we read those commandments, it reveals to us what sin is. And the second part is it drives us to God. When we realize that we're sinners and we know that we cannot save ourselves, it causes us to run to God. 
That's what the Ten Commandments reveals to us. They're so important. It shows us the requirements of God's salvation and it shows us our sinfulness. And so how are we going to live up to that? What are we, when we realise that there's nothing I can do that can fulfil that, I need a saviour. And that's the whole gospel message, the love of God, the love of Jesus that through the cross only he can meet the full requirements of that. So that's the purpose of the law. When we come to that re- realisation, there's a, there's a story I wanted to bring out in Luke, Luke 18, the difference between thinking that we can be saved, save ourselves and thinking that I'm a sinner, I need help. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector realised his sinfulness, realised that there's nothing he could do to reach the requirements, and he came and begged for God's mercy. Yet when we realise that our need for forgiveness and we come to an understanding that we just cannot save ourselves, and so we turn to Jesus, our Saviour, and we know from the word that he hears our cry. He heard that tax collector's cry, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the voice that Jesus heard that day. Not the man who was patting himself on the back and saying how good he was, it's the man whose heart was crying out to God for mercy. God gave him mercy, gave him salvation. And that's the confidence that we have in the word. He hears the cry. He's ever ready to forgive us our sins. And this is why Paul was just so concerned about the Galatians, that they were turning from grace back to law. And Paul was just so concerned about that. And he wanted to make sure he was going to put them right. So could we just skip a little bit and go to chapter 2, verses 11. Chapter 2, verses 11 to 21. Verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when that day arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law no one will be justified. If while I seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Certainly not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. You know, we can all be like Peter sometimes. You know, we can be really full-on fired-up Christians when we're around Christians, but when we're around worldly people, we tend to live like worldly people. This is, this is not the way it should be. We should be letting his light shine in all circumstances, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. We can't be like Peter was. You know, he was one thing when he was there with the Gentiles, but when the Jews came, he drew back and he started to do what they were doing. And so Paul, I just admire his courage. He confronted Peter right there and then in front of them all because Paul was just so concerned that people were being led away from the grace of God into law. We can gain confidence from the word because this is what needs to be done and what Paul did was right. So that gives us the courage to stand up for what's right. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Therefore our lives should be a life of love, love for one another, because that is what Jesus did for us. While we were still sinners, he demonstrated his love for us by going to the cross for us. We don't have to get our lives sorted out and become good before we come to Christ. While we were still dead and lost in our sin, he died for us. That was the depth of his love for us. So we can love others and we can stand firm in the knowledge that his word is true. And by the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we can stand and not be swayed this way or that way by every wind of doctrine that comes. These people are saying this, oh, yeah, that sounds all right, I might go there. And then someone else, no, the Holy Spirit keeps us steadfast in the true word of God that we will not be swayed this way or that way. We will not go down a different road. We are saved by the grace through faith in Christ alone. Second point is this, well, what is real freedom? What does that mean? We can skip over a few more. See, I'm getting to it pretty quick. Skip over to chapter 5. What is real freedom? Freedom's not free allowing me to do whatever I like, but it's free that I may do what I need to do. If anyone tries to earn God's favour by living under the law, that's putting themselves in a position of a slave. A slave has to serve, has to do certain things. Because not only were the did we have the Ten Commandments, but the Pharisees made up more than 600 more laws so that people could keep the Ten. I'm glad we haven't got that today because, one, how would you remember 600 laws and how could you just do it? And this, and this is where the Jews were just kept into that 
constant bondage of trying to earn God's favour, trying to earn their way to be saved. There's a constant bondage and they just couldn't do it because the burden was too heavy. Nobody can keep the whole law because we've been born into a sinful world. We have a sin nature, but thanks be to Jesus. And what Paul was saying is that if these people, if you let yourself become circumcised, thinking that you're going to fulfil the law, then you're obligated to keep the whole law. So if you just do this one thing, then you're obligated to keep all of it. And no, no one can do that because then you become a slave to it, always trying to earn salvation but never able to defeat those sinful desires that want to control us, you know, those sinful things that just want to, it's all right, you can do it, you can't do it. In ourselves, we're powerless against the sin nature. But in Jesus, in Jesus, we have the power to overcome that sin nature. Only in him. We haven't got the power, but he has. With God, all things are possible. That was good. He is the one that gives us the strength to be overcomers. God's word is truth, and the truth will set us free. If the Son, Jesus, sets us free, then we're free indeed. It's all through him, all through what he done. He's the one who paid the price. He who believes in Jesus has invited him into his heart and receives the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the Lord. And the word says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. All through what Jesus done. This is why Jesus came to preach. He preached the good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim freedom to the captives. So who were the captives? The ones held bondage under the law, trying to live up to a, a, a standard or trying to live up to rules and regulations that man just could not live up to. But Jesus came to give freedom to the, to the captives. Now we've seen on the news recently of whales getting caught up in those shark nets, you know, and some of those whales are big and strong, but the more and more they fight with this net, the more entangled they become in it. And what they need is someone to come and deliver them out of that net because they can't do it themselves and they need a deliverer to come and we see those people come out there with knives and, and so, so on and they cut that net off and set the whale free. You know, and it's the same, same with us. That when we struggle and struggle to try and deliver ourselves from the sin, we get more entangled in it, more bound up. This is what I'm saying, that we are powerless in our own strength to defeat that net of sin. It entangles us and gets us caught up in those things and we just can't set ourselves free. It says that a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. We are a slave to whatever has mastered us. So what is it that's got control over us? It's anything that we have or anything that we do that we can't say no to has control over us. It masters us. We're not, we don't have freedom because we're under bondage. We need to be set free. We need a deliverer. We need a saviour. Jesus Christ has set us free from that curse of sin and death. So we need to stand firm against all of those things in the world, the so many things in the world 
that just want to entangle us. Some of them might look all right at the beginning. Oh, that's not too bad. Oh, you know, that, that, that looks all right. I'll watch that or I'll have that. But they're just little things. But more and more they entangle us and tangle us. And then we get to that point where it controls us and we're mastered by it. These things can just come from our fleshly desires. They can become from worldly influences or they can come even under a satanic attack. But they all have that one thing that they will eventually, if we stay in it, they will tangle us up and get mastership over us. We need a saviour. We need to stand firm and place our confidence in the promises of God. Remembering that a little bit of yeast can spoil the whole batch. Turn away from those things that have a form of godliness, but they lack the power. Now things can look a bit all right. Yeah, they can look all right to start off with, but gradually, gradually that draws us away. We need to be coming back and be kept our focus upon the cross. Everything we need for life was done for us at the cross. So anything that's trying to draw us away from that is drawing us into a life of sinfulness, entanglement, and we lose that control, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit is, there is life, there is liberty. Have nothing to do with them because all of those things usually are all about self. A third point is this, is what is our practical response to freedom? How are we to live in freedom? Move down to Galatians 5, 13 to 15. Galatians 5, 13 to 15. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting each other, watch out or you will destroy each other. When Paul declared that the end of the reign of the law had come and that the reign of grace had arrived, it was always possible someone was going to say, that means then that I can do whatever I like, all restraints are lifted, I can follow my inclinations where they lead me. Law is gone and grace ensures forgiveness anyway. So I can just do whatever I want. Then I'll just come to God and say, I'm sorry, and God will forgive me. You know, God forgives when we do sin, but when we just habitually, we don't care about that, and we're just using this here as a crutch, thought, I can do whatever I like, and God will forgive me anyway. But when we fall into sin, not meaningfully, but when we're living this gospel life of following Jesus, there's days when we're going to make mistakes, and then we can come to him and he will forgive us. But it doesn't mean to say that we can just go and do whatever we like, whenever we like. It doesn't mean that. It means that God forgives us when we do fall off our bikes every now and again. We do make mistakes and he is ever willing to forgive us for our sins. Paul said in Romans, what shall we say then? Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. When we are born again, we died to sin. So how can we live in it? set free from the curse of sin and death and now made alive in Christ Jesus. The life that we now live, we live for him. We now live to follow him. Jesus is Lord of our lives, which means that there's two obligations here. Our first obligation is to God. How could we live in sin 
when God sent his one and only son to die on this earth, it cost him his life. He laid down his life so that we could be set free from sin. So now we've got an obligation to God because he done that for us. Not what we did for him, it's what he done for us. And so we've got this obligation to walk in that freedom that he died for our sins. The second obligation is to love our neighbour as ourselves. We are to love God with all of our heart, soul and strength and to love our neighbour as ourselves. Now this is the life we're called to live, a life of love, of liberty. Liberty is not freedom to do what I want, it is freedom to do what I ought. And that's what it's all about. This is the main point I want to bring out this morning. We're not free to do what I want to do or like to do, I am free to do what I ought to do. Follow God's word. That is to love God and to love my neighbour as myself. The word liberty means a right, authority, privilege. You know, we've often heard people say, oh, I've got my rights. It's my right. I can do this. I can do that. But let's bring that into God's order. Paul was saying here, he used food as an example. He had a right to eat any food that he wanted to, but there was a condition that he put in there that let, me, let not my freedom be a stumbling block to a weaker brother. Yes, I'm able to do it. Yeah, I've got no conscious issues about eating food. Even have been offered to idols, which was what happening in those days, that food would be offered to these idols and they'd have their festives and some of that meat would be left over and sold in the marketplace. And Paul was saying it's okay to go and buy that meat and eat it Give thanks for it. But if you're at someone's place and the person that's offering you this meat says, oh, this has been offered to idols, then don't, don't eat it because it's going to be a conscience issue for the weaker brother. But we have that freedom. But we're not to use our freedom or our liberty or our rights to be a stumbling block for another. If, we, if we're walking in love, what we're going to do is going to be to do what's best for our brothers so that we'll be building them up in Christ. So we do have freedom to do these things, but let's not use our freedom to be a stumbling block. The only way to live in true freedom is to live by the Spirit. You know, I've had a, I've had a sore there on the top of my head there for a, oh, about a month now. I don't know, it's a while. And I was, I'd been praying about it. It wasn't getting any better. So I went, went to the doctors to check, and he said, oh, it's nothing, just, just leave it, it'll heal up, which it is, but it's, it's taking a long time. He said to leave it alone, don't touch it. But I tell you what, it gets so itchy that the desire is to give it a scratch. And I know jolly well in here that the wrong thing to do would be to scratch it because it'll not, it won't heal, it'll get worse. And, you know, our sin nature is the same. You know, we see these things or we want to do these things and want to say these things, but we know in here that that's not really good, that's not going to work. So we need to have that spirit in us, that self-control part of us that says, yeah, I want to do that, but you know, <laughs> leave it alone. It'll heal better. And if we go down this sin nature, it just makes it worse and we get tangled up and then it starts to control us. And we, we're then t turning away from what Jesus did on the cross. All he did on the, for us on the cross, he died that we could be set free from that curse of sin and death. That's real freedom. Real freedom is being set free from having to earn my salvation. Real freedom is knowing that when I receive Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, 
my name was written in his book of life and no one can erase that name. He's my Lord and Saviour. That's the freedom that I walk in. It's not, it's not a freedom to do whatever I like. It's a freedom to do what I should. Giving in to sin is much the same. We need to be walking in the Spirit so that we will be growing in godliness. The more we walk in the Spirit, the more we will grow in godliness, the more we'll be able to let our light shine for Jesus. Because when we die to these things and we give in to these itches and these cravings or these fleshly desires, we bring ourselves back into bondage. We lose our joy. We feel defeated. We feel shameful. But Jesus came to set us free from that. But thanks be to God that when we repent and come back seeking his forgiveness and to restore our relationship with him for our failures. You know, this is what David, when David was caught in sin, he just longed to come back to God with a repentant heart, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. To be separate from God is just, it's not life, it's just existence. Real life, real freedom is when we're in that personal relationship, walking with God daily, knowing that our sins are under the blood of Jesus. There's no condemnation to those whose sins are under the blood. And we can walk in freedom. If anyone comes and says, oh, I know what you did in the past. I know what you were like. I heard, I'd done. When we've truly repented of those things and they are under the blood, they are dead and buried. People can talk about it and kick it and do all they like, but that, that old person's dead and buried. I'm a new creation. I'm alive in Christ. I'm a new creation in him. This is how we grow in our love for Jesus and for others. Instead of the sin nature controlling us, we are now walking in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit will become more and more a part of our lives. We're not saved by following external obedience to the the law and religious traditions, but by faith in the power of the cross. In Galatians 16, 5, 16, this is how we are to walk. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that we do not do what we want, but if we are led by the Spirit, we are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. He wants to produce fruit, good fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that will impact society around us. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So this is the fruit. This is what comes out of what happens in our lives when we begin to walk in the spirit of the living God and not in the spirit of self, the sinful desires or you know, the, the, the natural desires for the sin nature, the 
The sin nature has been put to death. We're now called to walk in the spirit. And these fruits will be evident in our lives. That's the change that people will see. When people say that there has been a change in me, a change, the change is that no longer we're walking in that um, controlling spirit, but now we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And these are the fruits. And these are the, this kind of fruit is what it will impact our society, our families for good, because it's good fruit and it will last. I love my fruit. And if I get some fruit that's a bit off, it's not very nice. But you get good fruit, it's really good. Nice and sweet, does us good. Paul said there in, in um, Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This is what it's all about. This is what Paul was saying. It's for freedom that Christ did what he did on the cross. We need to stand firm because there's so many things that will come into our lives that will try and entangle us, will try and just burden us again with a yoke of slavery. And that's what these false teachers were trying to do. They were trying to burden the believers again with circumcision. Come under the law. If you want to be saved, you need to become a Jew. The way to become a Jew is to be circumcised. Follow the laws. And Paul was just so much against that. He really come down heavy on these Galatians because this was just not the way to salvation. This is coming back to works again. You know, I've heard it said that what more can I do? In our lives, we've, especially, you know, I spoke you know, to my mum a few years ago when she got born again. There must be something else I need to do. I said, no, mum, you just need to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe and receive. Believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God raised from the dead. Out of your mouth should come that he is Lord of my life. When we believe and we confess that Jesus is Lord of my life, we are saved. But mums come out of the old school. You know what you want? You, if you want something, you've got to pay for it. There's got to be something you can do. You don't get anything for nothing. No, nothing's for free. The gospel is for free because what Jesus did on the cross, he paid the debt in full. There's nothing we have to do. All we need to do is receive. Receive the gift of salvation because the debt was paid. So that's what that verse 1 says in chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom. Who wants to be free? I want to be free. I don't want to have to work and work and work to try and please my God. Jesus has paid the price. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again to a yoke of slavery. It's only Jesus that can stand before before God, the holy God, and be totally righteous. Only Jesus was completely free. He was righteous, he was holy, and he paid the price. And what does he do for us? He gives us a robe of righteousness to place around us so that when we stand before God, we've got this robe of righteousness wrapped around us that is pure and white, sinless, spotless, not my works that made that sinless and spotless. I can say that. It's what Jesus did. And I've got this confidence that when I leave this earth and I stand before God, as we all will, I've got this robe of righteousness around me. And God will say, 
He's righteous. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because of what Jesus did. So I want to proclaim that Jesus is the only way that we can stand before God righteous and holy. Jesus releases us from the guilt of sin. Not only can we approach the Holy One in praise and thankfulness, but we can all be but we can do his will. He saved us for a purpose, that we will be his hands and feet here on this earth. We are to be his ambassadors here on this earth. We are to be his hands and feet. Jesus has called us to do a work. We're not just called and, and set free and we sit back and I'm going to heaven, that's all I need to do. No, we've got a work to do while we're here and that is to declare his goodness and his mercy. I'd just like to finish off with a few verses from chapter 6. I said I'd get there. Doing good to all. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you ought to, you who are spiritual ought to restore him gently, but watch yourselves or you may be caught, and caught up and be tempted. Carry each other's burdens in this way that you will fulfil the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share in all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time will we reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's the encouragement from Paul. Don't become weary in doing good. Whatever opportunities we have, whatever door of opportunity opens to us, whenever we see someone in need, Whenever we have an opportunity to share the gospel, do it with a willing heart. Set free from the curse of sin and death by the blood of Jesus. Let us use our freedom to love him and to love others. In Jesus' name, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us on that cross. There is none like you. You have no comparison there's many gods in this world, but only one lay down his life for our sin, and that is you, Jesus. So, Lord, we want to thank you and praise you for your word. Let us, Lord, this week go about doing your will. Let us do those things that you've called us to do. We thank you for the freedom that we have, Father. We are free, Lord, to go and do what you've called us to do. We are free to share the good news. We are free to do good to our neighbours. We are free to do that for them what that Lord would, would encourage them and would build them up. Let us not use our freedom as a stumbling block for someone, but use our freedom to encourage them and build them up in the things of God. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for what you did. We thank you that for the freedom that you have given us. It is for freedom that we have been set free to love Jesus and to love our neighbours. In your precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabram. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabram.com.